Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. Jan noticed the stunned look on Jim's face about the same moment he mumbled, I just locked the keys in the car. She looked through the window to appraise the situation and she said, well, why don't we get a coat hanger? And he said, no, we can't do that because if we get a coat hanger, people will think we're trying to break in. So Jan said, well, why don't we get a pocket knife and we'll cut around the rubber and then we'll stick our finger in and pull up the lock. Jim said, no, people will think we're too dumb to get a coat hanger. (laughs) Well, Jan said, we'd better think of something fast because it's starting to rain and the sunroof is open. (laughs) You know, sometimes the solutions to life's problems are more simple than we think. Sometimes we are looking for complex solutions And there's a simple answer staring us right in the face. What kind of problems are you encountering? You you know, most of us encounter one of three kinds of problems. One is directional problems. That is, I'm having trouble making a decision. I don't know which way to go. Everybody's telling me to go a different direction. I think I chose the wrong road in life. Directional problems. The second is relational problems. I seem to always be having conflicts. I seem to be experiencing friction everywhere I turn. I can't seem to get along with the people in my life. Relational problems. And then the third is emotional problems. I've got too much to do and too little time. I've got a burden that's too heavy to bear. I've got too much stress in my life. Do any of those sound familiar? Have you got a directional problem or a relational problem or an emotional problem? If so, Peter has the solution for you this morning, and it's simple. In verses 5 to 7, he's going to tell you that your sunroof is open. He's going to give you a simple solution to those seemingly complex problems of life. First of all, He tells us the solution to your directional problems. Now, most people struggle with direction in life at one time or another. How do you make decisions in life? Heard about one fellow who came home from work and heard a voice. The voice said, quit your job, sell your house, take your money, and go to Vegas. The man was a little disturbed by the voice, but he ignored it. Next day, he came home from work. Same thing happened. The voice said, quit your job, sell your house, take your money, and go to Vegas. Again, it troubled him, but he ignored the voice. Every day, day after day, the man heard the voice when he got home from work. Quit your job, sell your house, take your money, and go to Vegas. He became increasingly upset. Finally, after two weeks, he succumbed to the pressure. He quit his job, sold his house, took his money, and headed for Las Vegas. The moment he got off the plane, the voice said, go to Harrah's. So he got in a cab and he rushed over to Harrah's. As soon as he set foot in the casino, the voice said, go to the roulette wheel. The man did as he was told. When he got to the roulette wheel, the voice said, put all your money on number 17. Nervously, he exchanged his money for chips and put them all on number 17. 
The dealer wished him luck and spun the roulette wheel. Around and around the ball caromed, and the man watched intently and anxiously as it slowed down and finally came to a stop at number 21. The voice said, crud. That's a man who had a directional problem. He listened to the wrong voice. Now, my question is, how do you know, since there are many voices out there, how do you know which voice to listen to? How do you know which voice is God's? Well, let me suggest to you that when you're struggling with direction, it really comes from two reasons. Either we don't know what God wants us to do, or we know what God wants us to to do, but we don't want to do it. And I'm convinced that that second reason is the most prevalent. When we're having directional problems, we are usually not asking the question, what? We are asking the question, why? It's usually not, what does God want me to do? It's, why should I do it? You see, God has made His will pretty clear to us. In fact, there are two primary ways that God leads us. One way is through His Word. He has written an entire book telling you how to conduct your life. And all you have to do is simply walk in the principles of the Word of God and pay attention to the illustrations of the Word of God, both good and bad. You say, yeah, but the Word of God doesn't tell me the name of my future spouse. No, but it does tell you the character qualities that he or she should have. You see, what you need to do when you make a decision is hold it up to the light of the Word of God. And if you hear a voice telling you to sell your house and bet your life savings on a roulette wheel in Las Vegas, you can be pretty sure that's not God. First way is by the Word of God. The second way God primarily leads us is through human authority. You see, God has placed in each of our lives certain authorities that are to guide us. He has established authority in the government. He has established authority in the workplace. He has established authority in the home. He has established authority in the church. And when you're having directional problems because you are fighting against the God-given human authority in your life, that's not a question of what does God want me to do. That's a question of, am I going to do it? You see, that's not an issue of confusion. That's an issue of commitment. And if you're honest with yourself, the primary source of directional problems is self-will. And Peter has a simple solution. Notice verse 5. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. The solution is submission. That word, that phrase, be subject, it's a military term. It means to place yourself under their authority, to put yourself under their leadership. Peter told us back in chapter 2 and verse 13, we're to show submission to the government. He told us in chapter 2, verse 18, we're to show submission to our employer. He told us in chapter 3 and verse 1, we're to show submission in the home. And now here in chapter 5, verse 5, he says we're to show submission in the church. And I want you to notice something. He singles out young men. Why is that? Well, I think it's because they tend to be the most headstrong. 
I think it's because they tend to be the least likely to submit. When I went to Bible college, I came from living in Denver in an apartment with no authority to a school with a whole lot of rules. They had a dress code, they had a six-inch rule, they had a 10.30 curfew every weeknight, and I happened to get on the floor with the most strict floor leader there was. And when I came in at night, he stood there every night and he would say, you're 30 seconds late. Now, I didn't understand all those rules, and I didn't agree with all those rules, but God used those rules in my life because I was a young man who was very rebellious and very headstrong, and God used that episode to teach me how to submit. You see, in the church, God guides us, as he tells us in the first four verses of chapter 5. He he guides us by providing elders who shepherd us, and our responsibility is to be subject. Now, let me pause and add a disclaimer. That doesn't mean that elders have the authority to tell you who to marry or to tell you what job to take or to place on you all kinds of legalistic rules and regulations. That's the nature of a cult. Back in verse 3, he says, They are not to lord it over you. They are to willingly and eagerly lead you by example. And our response to them is to be subject to their God-given leadership. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. I've had people come in my office before and say, Dan, I thought I'd better tell you I'm getting a divorce. And when I ask them, I find out that they've already gotten advice from a lawyer and a secular counselor and all their divorce friends at work before they ever come to me. See, that's not a person who's looking for the way to go. That's a person who's looking for the way out. That's the person who has locked their keys in their car so they go buy another car. And he or she has a directional problem because of self-will. And Peter says there's a simple solution to that. Be subject to your elders. Listen to the guidance of those that God has called as shepherds. Listen to the advice of those that God has entrusted you to. Listen to the advice of those who who watch over your souls. Listen to the advice of those that will one day give an account to God for you. Second, Peter gives us the solution to your relational problems. Maybe you can identify with Snoopy who said... I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. You know, life would be pretty smooth if there were no other people to have to relate to. But because there are people, we have problems. And you know what the source of people problems is? It's sin. And you know what the first and most fundamental of all sins is? It's pride. That's the very first sin that Satan committed in Isaiah 14, 14. He said, I will make myself like the Most High. His pride caused him to have problems even in his relationship with God. 
And if you will be honest, you will recognize that the source of your relational problems is pride. It's pride that leads you to conclude that it's all His fault. It's pride that leads you to refuse to admit that you're wrong. It's pride that keeps you hiding behind that smug and critical front. When you have a relational problem, maybe you respond like Jimmy Hoffa who once said, I may have my faults, but being wrong ain't one of them. The primary source of relational problems is pride. And Peter has a simple solution. Look at the middle of verse 5. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. I don't know about you, but I don't have problems getting along with people who are humble. And I don't have problems getting along with people when I'm humble. You see, the solution to relational problems is humility. And if you look closely, Peter doesn't say you're just to wear humility as an accessory. He says you are to clothe yourselves with it. Now, clothe yourselves is a unique word. It's not the general word for putting on a garment. It's a word used specifically of a slave who would tie on an apron before he would serve. And I think Peter has in mind the Lord Jesus in the upper room. When he rose from the table and he laid aside his garments and he girded himself with a towel and he washed the disciples' feet. Peter is saying to each of us, gird yourself with the towel of humility. And you don't have to worry about it not fitting because if you look at the tag, it's one of those tags that says, one size fits all. And that's what Peter tells us here. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Now, how does humility solve relational problems? Well, Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Humility enables me to stop thinking about me first and start thinking about you first. You show me a person who thinks others are more important than he is, and I'll show you a person who gets along. You know, humility was not considered to be a virtue in the pagan society of the first century. They thought humility was for the weak. Humility was for the cowardly. Humble people were considered to be wimps. Sound familiar? Who do we reserve our accolades for today? The macho men. Humble guys won't make it in the WWF. The only humility they tolerated in the first century was the involuntary humility of slavery. But Peter says, I want you to voluntarily tie on the towel of humility. And let me tell you something. Humility is not only the solution to your horizontal problems. 
It's the solution to your vertical problems. Look at the end of verse 5. He says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, your pride is not just a silly little trait that runs in your family. Your pride is not just an obstacle that interferes in your marriage and your friendships. This verse tells us that your pride drives God away. In fact, if you are proud, God is opposing you. If you are proud, God is fighting against you. Now, why does God fight against the proud? Well, because God hates pride. Proverbs 6.16 says, There are six things which the Lord hates. You know what the very first one is? Haughty eyes. God hates a proud look. God hates people who are arrogant. Proverbs 8.13 says, Pride and arrogance I hate. God is opposed to the proud. But the other side of that is, God gives grace to the humble. What's that mean? God blesses the humble. If you want God's blessing, the prerequisite is humility. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God dwells two places. He dwells on a high and holy place, and He dwells with those who are lowly in spirit. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. There's only one way to walk with God, and that's in humility. Because the humble person is the only person he walks with. In Isaiah 66, 2, God puts it this way. He says, For my hand made all these things, thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord, but to this one I will look. God says, I made everything. But there's one person I'll look to, and that's him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. You know, I see people today stumbling around trying to fix up their life. They're stumbling around trying to find some kind of solution, some kind of fix, some kind of therapy that works, some kind of counseling that will solve their problem, some kind of book that will deliver them from their dilemma. Let me tell you something. The bottom line may be that there is no deliverance because you are not experiencing the grace of God. Instead, you are experiencing the opposition of God. Why? Because you are proud. You see, the solution is not complex. The solution is simple. You've got to humble yourself. Now, how do you humble yourself? Well, look at verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. 
How do you humble yourself? You don't humble yourself by comparing yourself with somebody else. You humble yourself by getting under the mighty hand of God. In Exodus 3.19, it refers to God's mighty hand delivering the children of Israel from Egypt. In Job 30.21, it refers to God's mighty hand bringing pressure and testing on the life of Job. In Ezekiel 20.33, it refers to God's mighty hand bringing chastening and correction on His people. So God's mighty hand comes sometimes as a hand to deliver me, sometimes as a hand to test me, and sometimes as a hand to spank me. But whenever it comes, in whatever way it comes, I'm to stay under it because that's the way humility is shaped in my life. The people that Peter is writing to were experiencing God's mighty hand in testing. They were going through persecution. And Peter is saying, let that fiery trial that you're going through burn the dross of pride out of your life. You know, it's in the trials of life that we discover who we really are. And it's in the trials of life that we discover who God really is. You want a simple definition for humility? Humility is seeing yourself as you really are. That's it. Because you see, pride is deceiving yourself into thinking you're somebody that you're not. Humility is seeing yourself as you really are. That's why James said in James 4.10, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. You see, when I come into the presence of the Lord and I see Him for who He really is, then I will see myself for who I really am. When I have God in the place He belongs, I will be in the place that I belong. You say, yeah, Dan, but humble people finish last. Well, no, they don't. Because I want you to look at the promise at the end of verse 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time. You see that promise? He will exalt you. If you try to exalt yourself, God will oppose you. But if you humble yourself under His mighty hand, He will exalt you. You say, when's He going to do that? Last phrase, verse 6, at the proper time. You see, He's operating on His schedule, not yours. But you know something about God's schedule? It always works out. Titus 1.3 says Jesus was manifested at the proper time. 1 Timothy 2.6 says Jesus gave Himself as a ransom at the proper time. And here in 1 Peter 5.6, it says you will be exalted at the proper time. You don't know exactly when that's going to occur, but you can count on it. And in the meantime, listen, if you've got relational problems, the source is pride. And Peter says there's a real simple solution. Humble yourselves. 
because it attracts the favor of others and it releases the grace of God. Third, he gives us the solution to your emotional problems. If you haven't noticed, we, lived in, we live in a stressed out world. We live in a world where there seems to be too much to do and too little time. We live in a world that can bury you with cares and burdens. And sometimes our biggest problems are not what has happened to us, but what we think is going to happen to us. Sometimes our biggest problems are not directional or relational, they are emotional. Some of us get up every day and say, I've got to have my daily worry work out. I've got to get busy with my anxiety aerobics. And so we put on our worry clothes and we worry and we fret and we sweat. And if I ask you, well, what do you think is the solution to all those things you're worrying about? You would say, oh, it's so complex. Peter says, there's a simple solution. Look at verse 7. Casting all your anxiety upon Him because He cares for you. What are you anxious about this morning? What are you worrying about? Peter says you can take all of it and cast it on the Lord. Now, a lot of us interpret this verse from a fisherman's perspective. We cast it on the Lord, and then what do we do? We reel it back in. We cast it on the Lord, and we reel it back in. Speaking of fishing, I heard about a fellow who was ice fishing wasn't catching anything. Looked over at a little boy next to him. The little boy was pulling in fish after fish. So finally he just laid down his pole and went over to the little boy and said, what's your secret? little boy said, hmm. man said, no, I mean, how are you catching all these fish? And the little boy just said, hmm. So the man thought, well, he's, he's rude. And so he decided to walk away. And as he started to walk away, the little boy spit something out of his mouth and said, you've got to keep your worms warm. You know, some of us feel like we've got to keep our worries warm. Peter says, cast them on the Lord. That word cast means to throw them upon Him. It's used of throwing a blanket on a horse. It's used in Luke 19.35 where the disciples cast their garments on the donkey. You are to take the entire weight of your worries and you are to cast them on the Lord. Let me tell you something. You will never do that until you believe what it says at the end of verse 7. It says, because He cares for you. When you really believe He cares for you, then you will take your cares, your anxieties, your worries, and you will cast them on Him, and you will walk away in complete trust because you know He cares for you. How do you cast your worries? Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, 
but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You cast your cares on the Lord through prayer. And you know what happens? When you cast your cares on Him, He casts His peace on you. When Hannah went to the temple in 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says in verse 10, she was greatly distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She was anxious because she didn't have a son, but she took that anxiety and she cast it on the Lord. And I love what it says in verse 18. It says, so the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. Her circumstances had not changed, but she had cast her burden on the Lord. You see, it's that simple. You say, well, I don't have time to pray. Well, that's funny. You have time to worry. And I guarantee you, in any setting where you can find the time to worry, you can find the time to pray. What if I gave you a telephone number today that was God's direct line? His private phone number. And I said, you can call him anytime, night or day. He has you on his friends and family circle. Well, that's what prayer is. You see, prayer is the ability to talk to God anytime about anything. And He especially wants you to come bringing those weights of worry and anxiety that you are carrying because He cares about a man who was experiencing some alarming symptoms. His ears were ringing, his eyes were bulging out, and his face was flushed. For over three years, he went to doctor after doctor. One doctor took out his tonsils. One doctor took out his appendix. Another doctor pulled out all his teeth. Nothing seemed to help. His ears still rang, his eyes bulged out, his face was flushed. Finally, a doctor told him there was no hope. He only had six months to live. So he quit his job, took all the money from the bank. He set out to live it up in the, life he, or the time he had left. First place he went was to a tailor to get some new suits and shirts. Tailor measured his neck and wrote down 16. The man corrected him. It's a 15. Tailor measured his neck again. 16. man insisted he'd always worn a size 15 collar on his shirts. Well, all right, said the tailor, but don't come back here complaining to me if you have ringing in your ears, bulging eyes, and a flushed face. (laughs) Sometimes the solution to life's problems are more simple than we think. Have you got problems with directions in life? There's a simple solution. Submit. Have you got problems with people in your life? There's a simple solution. Clothe yourselves with humility. Have you got problems with stress in your life? There's a simple solution. Cast your cares on the Lord. You know, if you analyze all of those solutions, they really revolve around one thing, and that is coming to the Lord. 
We're going to close this morning. I'm going to ask the praise group to come and sing a song that we'll sing along with called Draw Me Into Your Presence because that's where the solutions really are. I'm going to ask that we stand as we sing and however God may have spoken to your heart this morning, if you feel like He's calling you to come forward, you come forward. If you need someone to pray with you, we'll pray with you. If you'd like to join this fellowship this morning, you come as we sing together to the Lord.